Hi folks, and thanks for listening to Tortoise Shack Podcast. It has been a crazy week with lots going on. Um, we were out on Saturday the 26th at the Raise the Roof Rally. Thank you to everybody who showed up. Um, great day. I posted uh, James O'Toole's speech from the day on my social media. Check it out. Really, really passionate speech, and I, and I would urge you to check it out. Um, if you're listening, if you like what we do, please support us. This platform relies on you. It's it's as simple as that. We need you to put your hands in your pocket. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. The link is in the podcast you're listening to right now. If you're interested in gifting a subscription to someone for for Christmas or or a new year or whatever it is, uh, the email address is info at tortoise shack.ie. Simple email, info at tortoise shack.ie, subject matter, gift subscription, and we'll do the rest for you. Uh, thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. Great to see lots of people yesterday. Uh, fair play to everyone everybody involved and everybody who showed up i left with sore feet but my heart full thanks again and if you are a member and it's sunday morning remember we're live at 12 online and we have a brilliant panel of harry mcevan sonia shami malakmium and again mamet Uluda is joining us we're going to talk about uh, the week that was and some of the events that maybe that maybe didn't get as much coverage as we think they deserved uh thanks for support thanks for listening do join us please i won't delay any further enjoy the podcast Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and we are back as promised and back discussing a topic, Martin, that obviously has been simmering just below the surface for as long as we've been doing this and, and, and a lot longer, buddy. It's 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 the ugly face and the 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 Ireland that uh that is not the Ireland of a of a hundred thousand welcomes. It's it's been there and we've known about it, but we've seen it raise its ugly face in the in on the streets. And despite, I'd say, how many years have we, five years we're doing this, Martin? Yeah, I I will say, though, too, let me just say before we start that this has been across the country in other places. And we have seen similar type. But that's. But, but, you know, this is Dublin. uh, And and Dublin, uh, for right or wrong, it's going to get a lot more coverage than has what no, has happened I, in the I, rest I, of the country. I accept that, but I mean, we only have to look at, say, say Saoirse McHugh and what happened in Ackle a couple yeah. of years ago um, when she was a candidate and how she was talking about what was happening. And, you know, we won't, we don't want these young, we don't want these men here, became this idea. And then it became, well, they're going to have actually men and women. Well, we just don't want them here full stop. And and it's not just there, obviously. We've seen the situations in places like Donegal and Cork. And we know people in in, in direct provision centres. In fact, some of the things we've done podcast-wise in direct provision centres, we've had to be so careful that we've either had to get a voice actor to, to talk some of the parts or we've had to distort voices because of fear. Of, of how they may be treated by the system. And that's before we get out into what we're talking about in the streets. So anyway, look, I, listeners will be aware, obviously, we're very Twitter based. We're very online. And um, and we were looking around and uh, and without without giving too much away, I think I've been asking this gentleman to come on the podcast since about 2018. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, uh, our guest today is 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 Mehmet Ulada, right? I tried it, um, and he's he's an activist and the national organizer of United Against Racism, and he wrote a really thought provoking tread on the situation that was we were watching in front of our eyes since Sunday in East Wall. Mehmet, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us. 
Thank you, Tony, and thank you, Martin, for having me tonight. And apologies, my voice is not the best, but hopefully, hopefully, we'll get by with with this beautiful voice of mine. And it's a pleasure to be here. I think we are discussing, we are going to discuss a very important topic or rather topics tonight. And I hope it will be beneficial to all of us, and we can learn from each other. Yeah, I, well, actually, we're here to learn from from you because you've got firsthand experience of the situation. You yourself are uh, are are, are uh, immigrant into Ireland from Turkey you may start if if that's okay around the the kind of generally around the thread that you wrote uh, and how you outlined it. it 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 did go viral um i think it got a lovely response and it was a lovely antidote to some of the negative commentary and some of the stuff that was being put around uh, presented uh, by bad faith actors, I, I'd say, as as fact, and you kind of dealt with it in a really kind and way, personal situation. So, if you might, wouldn't mind sharing some of that, that'd be a really great place to start. I think. Thank you. Certainly, <clears throat> I wrote that uh, thirty piece of a long essay in the form of uh, individual tweets on the way home uh, last weekend on the bus, and the reason I wrote that was because. Like many people, I was not necessarily sure what's going on in East Wall. I knew about the refugees, asylum seekers rather, uh, being housed in a disused office block. Uh, I knew there was a mobilization, but that there was also uh, 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 far-right elements uh, who, 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 had to, uh, who went on social media and, and uh, tried to sort of mobilize the community. And I was shocked. I was shocked for two reasons, not because it never happened before, but because it's still happening. And I was shocked, I think, the amount of confusion that's out there. Uh, and also, I was disappointed, but not with the community of East Wall, a wonderful community, a very diverse community. Indeed, Ireland is a very diverse and a wonderfully welcoming community. Very briefly, if I may say, where else would I be if I was in Europe today, other than Ireland as an immigrant? When you look at Eastern Europe, when you look at Germany, when you look at Italy, when you look at some Nordic countries where the rise of racism far right has been really significant. But when you look at, first of all, the magnificent history of Ireland and the sort of progressive campaigns and the welcoming nature of the society in terms of general nature I'm talking about, in terms of immigrants, asylum seekers, in terms of Ireland's national profile in helping others in terms of aid and whatnot, and generally supporting, for example, the Palestinians and their right to just cause, etc., is, is, is extremely important. And I was disappointed to see that's happening in East Wall. I was also, I also wanted to make sure that we don't just go around and wave fingers at people who are angry with the housing crisis, cost of living crisis, and people who may have questions about those who look different or those who may have not been born and bred in this country. And I just want to maybe express my genuine feelings, including my analysis of the situation throughout with those tweets, in order to put a perspective out there that questions, anger, anxiety, suffering, and God, people are suffering, 10,000, almost 11,000 homeless, 60,000 on the housing list, cost of living and whatnot, working class communities trying to get by, while there's immense, tremendous amount of wealth in this country, etc. Right? I just want to put all of these together and put a perspective and remind myself and remind everyone else, we are in fact in this together, 
actually asylum seekers, refugees and migrants are coming to Ireland, especially with the Ukrainian situation. It puts a lot of pressure on public services and especially housing. But the reality of the fact is shouting, chanting or organizing against people who have no control over their own destiny, who have no control whether they want to live in East Wall or not, because it's the government putting these people in there, right, uh, is not going to address or solve any of these problems. And I just wanted to remind all of us that we can work this out together as a society, as a nation, and we can actually remind ourselves of the dark ages of Europe when far-right fascist ideologies have actually uh, decimated nations and societies. In the 21st century, we can look forward together and we can be all part of a solution rather than a problem or pointing fingers at each other, kicking downwards rather than upwards. That was the general sentiment behind me writing this. It was not an attack to anyone in the East Wall. I, I dare to do that because I was welcome to this country as a migrant, economic migrant. As I said at the beginning, where else would I want to live at this present time in Europe other than the one? It, it's, it's, it's very, um, I don't know what the right word is, hopeful. I think that you've, you've said that Ireland is very welcoming in general. And you've said Ireland is very welcoming in general. And, and Tony and I would, would agree with you. Ireland is such a mixed society. But that's not new. It, it always has been. You know, we're an island nation. Um, we're the first point of call this side of Europe. So, yeah, we, we, we've always had a mix. And, of course, our history is mixed. So we have mixed from the UK. We have mixed from other parts. So the idea of a, a pure Irish race uh, you know it's it's very off target to think that there is such a thing we've always been a very mixed people and always been quite welcoming when you first came here Mehmet were you you were a young man I take it when you first came here I uh, I was younger than I am today but <laughs> I was a young man indeed and as I said I was an economic migrant can I can I just challenge you on 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 that that phrase first of all the phrase economic migrant it it it's been weaponized by many uh, so I I you know I we I'm I'm on the record I'm an open borders kind of guy you know I don't think any any human being is illegal I, I will explain Tony the reason I said I am a university graduate I I was I'm a professional that worked in Turkey before I came here. I have master's degree and whatnot. It doesn't make me any better or any more deserving or any, 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 any I am just a worker, right? Happens to be uh, 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 wanting to come to Ireland and uh, follow the jobs. The reason I said economic migrant is because purely because it's a very well known stuff. But I understand where you're coming from, especially with the refugee crisis. It's been weaponized by actually calling people who are fleeing wars, persecution, terror, and whatnot. Ah, oh, these are just economic migrants to, to, that come here to suck our social welfare system and whatnot, right? But I came to Ireland not just because I wanted to come to Ireland and I could jump on a plane and arrive and say, hello, I'm here and I, I'm going to find a job at work. It's a, it's a hurdle to jump. Ireland has a very strict and very detailed, very well policed, if I may use that word, immigration system. You don't come to this country just because you want, if you are not outside of EU, or especially if you are from Middle East, Africa, or whatnot. And let me tell you this much. To obtain an Irish visa, just even to come and see the wonderful sights of Dublin, may take to, for some people up to two to three months. And you may end up having to publish and present 
pages of pages documentation, your bank accounts, your letter from your employer, that you don't have a criminal record and all of that. So Ireland is not a place where you just jump wait, on Wait, 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 wait a minute. You mean, you mean they actually vet you before you get here? Wow. Yes. Wow, mind is blown. Like I urge all your listeners who may have friends living abroad, non-EU friends, because EU has a free uh, uh, travel zone as well. We have Schengen, but outside of Schengen... Ireland is living in Schengen, actually. Ireland is not in Schengen. I know, Ireland is the only one that's sort of... We're outside of Schengen because of the free travel area with the UK. The Schengen rules doesn't apply for a non-EU citizen living in Germany. Who uh, who, A German citizen, for example, can come to Ireland regardless, but a Turk living on a visitor's visa in Germany does not necessarily qualify to come to Ireland. You have to apply separately. And there are historic reasons with that. But they vet you. They vet your economic circumstances. They vet your 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 your, your condition. They vet your education history. You can't even arrive to Ireland without having a health insurance because the state doesn't want to obviously have a situation where you suddenly fell ill and whatnot, right? So my parents have arrived to Ireland. My friends tried to arrive to Ireland. Some did, some didn't. And these are all people working, normal people like Tony Martin and Mehmet. Some were successful, some weren't in their visa application. So that's for people who are willing to come to Ireland for whatever reason other than fleeing uh, places of war and, 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 and terror and whatnot. But when you come to Ireland, have you noticed there is a gate called EU and non-EU? Yeah. If you are coming to Ireland, whichever means and way you arrive to a port, whether you seek asylum or you're a tourist, non-EU tourist, or North Africans, are, uh, North Americans are a bit more, I think, uh, easier to gain access. But nonetheless, we are talking about maybe where refugees are coming from, mostly from war zones and whatnot. You queue up in that non-EU and you go to the guard immigration officer. You declare who you are, and if you are seeking asylum, you have to declare it there and then. They don't put you on a bus and say, hey, there's a house, there's a center, off you go, and apply, and they'll give you fresh clothing and, 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 and uh, 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 your, your uh, bed linen and whatnot, and then we'll, uh, good luck to you. You register with the state. You fill in your details. Now, as a person, you may lie. As a person, you may hide information. That's not, I mean, everyone is entitled to break the law like the speed limit. You can enti- you are entitled to break the speed limit, but that doesn't mean there is no speed limit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I, I, can I make a, a really important point there? Because we've seen this used against people whereby they said, oh, in their initial application, they omitted certain facts or they omitted certain details. And then when you dig into it, and we've seen this with, with actual cases because it was either for the preservation of, of protection of their families, preservation of protections of whether it was. Some of these people were under political threats in certain jurisdictions, particularly political threats is something that we've seen. Some of this went in, like, I mean, I'm not speaking at a school, Martin. You, we, we had a guest here uh, on regularly who was in the Sunday Times being told, look, you can't take them seriously because they omitted these facts in their, on their application. I, I think we take it for granted in this country and we take it very for granted in this country that we really do have freedom of speech. Um, no matter what I say, no matter what you say, Tony, nobody is going to come along and hurt us, maim us, throw us in prison. And that's kind of unique in the world. You know, we are unique in that way. The worst we get is legal letters. And we get that's legal it. letters, but we get legal letters. But nonetheless, we don't, I don't go to bed fearing 
that someone is going to, you know, um, take retribution against my family. And that actually happens in some of these cases. You saw how difficult it has been to get people from Iran to speak about the protests. But sorry, Mehmet, I'm sorry to come in on this, but I think it's really crucial when people arrive at the airport. This is the situation they they present. and, And yet we're hearing. This other myth that's been per- perpetuated is that, oh, should they tore up their documents and they, uh, yes. they, you know, this this other myth. Look, I mean, you register with the state, you have a file with the state and the state takes you to an emergency accommodation center and then you are sent to a direct provision uh, center. And thereafter, you have a case with the state where you have applied for refuge, refugee status. It may take years in some cases. You don't decide as you wish to leave the direct provision center and live somewhere else. Well, you can do that, but you have to inform the authorities and it's and, and you have to because you're in communication with them. And throughout the process, a lot of interviews, vetting procedures kick in, kick in. So the state is very aware of you. Now, as you said, people don't realize there are language barriers. Just because you don't speak English doesn't make you any less deserving of safety or, 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 or protection. There are language barriers, there are cultural misunderstandings, and sometimes fear. I tell you the fear. When you come to Ireland and you say, I'm from country X and I'm seeking refuge, as you said, there are a number of personal, individual, or political, or societal reasons for that. You're actually blaming the country that you came from and the government you came from. At times, there are investigations made about your past life in that country. You may have family behind you. If you came from a war zone, a warlord, you're escaping a warlord, and you went ahead, like a bit like the Irish immigrants who went ahead with the hope that they will save their families from the famine and the death. You go ahead as the frontier, right? Reach out and establish a life to bring your three or five-year-old child with you, right? You don't want to make everything so explicit. You are fearful. You haven't spoken to a, so, uh, so, uh, a, a consultant yet. You haven't actually reached. Uh, no one has actually given you the comfort yet. Fear is a driver of all sorts of things, right? But that doesn't mean the state doesn't know you. That doesn't mean the state vet you. That doesn't mean the state has files on you. And you go through a very detailed, very sort of uh, difficult process to prove your case to become a refugee. If you're a refugee, if you're a UN program refugee that Ireland has signed up to for almost 20 years, you are vetted by the UN, then by the Irish government, and you only arrive to this country after all this vetting process has completed, or if you're a refugee that the Irish government wants to directly uh, in Ireland, like the Syrian refugees, some for example, you are actually vetted by the Irish government while you're in camps in Turkey, Lebanon, and whatnot. You will remember Garda office officers have been to Lebanese camps with Rodrigo Gorman at, uh, going with them on a number of occasions. They have taken months to vet these people and bring them along. So the idea that you arrive to Dublin Airport, you are given a free mobile and, and a place to stay, and off you go. We'll see you whenever we see you. Good luck on your bike. Mama, can I ask you, now I know you don't have direct experience of going through that that whole, and it's a very, very long, of the very long. I worked for seven years with victims of torture, seven years as a volunteer between 2000 and 2007. But I have very much a community of people that I have really worked directly with them, asylum seekers, sorry. And... uh, 
you know, the process is, is very dragged out. It's very, very long. But I want to, the question I want to ask is when that process finishes and that person then becomes an Irish citizen, what is the weight that's lifted? What's the, you know, what's the relief factor? What's the, that's out of my life. It has been in my life for X number of years. What's that factor? Is it a huge factor? It's a huge factor. Direct provision was established in 2000. And at the time I was working as a volunteer, as a temporary measure. And it was a response to refugees coming to Ireland. It was a temporary uh, uh, mechanism put in place. And it became permanent and it grew into a massive industrial complex, basically. You didn't have right to work. You didn't have right to socially and economically exist. You didn't have right to third-party education. And your life may be wasted in front of your very eyes. And you're a valuable human being like every human being is. You have so much to offer. You don't come to a country just because you are fearful and you have you are horrors behind. You also come with two skillful, capable hands that can do things for this country, like Irish people did abroad in all over the world, right? And as we have seen during, for example, the lockdown, how delivery workers, migrant mm -hmm. workers working in the farms, etc., have been so important. Immigration, be it in the form of refugees, asylum seekers, or, or people arriving to work here, etc., is not a one-way street. It's not a one versus the other. It's not going south, north and south. It is very much the reality of human nature. The right to limited work was an extremely important thing because these people immediately get involved in workplaces, establish themselves a, a network of social networks. They became part of the working is a liberating factor in a sense. Your labor liberates you from your sole existence, right? And it's not the full story. It's still very limited. Direct provision disables you. Direct provision alienates you, isolates you, and you don't you waste your life. When direct provision, when you escape direct provision, you face housing challenges, you face all the challenges Irish people are facing, but now you have the agency to be part of being in the community, working in the community, you know, establishing a life. And I think it's very important to understand that. It's a weight that is so heavy on you. And when See, we have a history. Again. Mark, can I say one thing on this? We know people who fought years through the direct vision system. We've spoken to Wendy Lyon regularly, who represents many people. We've spoken to other people in different, in different centers. You've spoken to people who've come out. And the, the point of it is, actually, sometimes they've lost so much of their lives out of there that they've lost some of themselves. They come, they go in different, and they come out very different. And, and know, we we like, have a history of, and we we know this of stolen lives. We but, know but, this, but we have a, a history. Can, of can can we contextualize this? A few eighteen months ago, there was a white paper to end direct provision. Hmm. The yes. minister Roderick O'Gorman said, "I'm going to end direct provision." It was in the program for government. We're going to end direct provision, and now we all sort of shrug our shoulders. It's 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 growing. It's, it's, growing. it's hugely for profit it's more lucrative than ever and they've said well actually some of the people who are in there we maybe start charge them rent mm -hmm. you see tony i think the plan for uh government program for government to end the direct provision system had ambiguous points but it was a step forward right 
I, 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 I absolutely hate that piece where we all do this, where we all say it's like the the the, the thing from the cop the other day where they said they've agreed to this fund for uh, that we're going to that wealthy countries are going to give some more money to poorer countries mm. if we don't hit our climate targets. And I and I remember it was George Monobot turned around and said no one's going to pay, but it's great yeah. for a headline. So sorry, Mehmet, I, I, I so, accept, but go ahead. But I just hate I the think, fact that you feel we feel obliged to say a step forward that's not actually taken is actually yes, and is, past 20 years since its establishment, uh, Minister for Justices, one after the other, said, Yeah, but there is no alternative. And progressive campaigns have said there are alternatives, but it's also linked to how you organize uh, your society economically and socially. The housing crisis that this government is not willing to admit. And the housing situation that this government has abandoned when you compare it to the 50s, 60s, when we could build uh, houses by, in, on public land for the purpose of accommodating people uh, rather, rather than using housing as a profit mechanism. Without that, you, are not, you have nowhere to put people. And the reality is, we have to be very, very clear. Direct provisions are not taken away from houses where Irish families can safely properly live in. Direct provisions are like camps where sometimes bunks beds are put in, in one room, five, six, ten people sleep. They are not permanent arrangements, but asylum seekers have nothing else, nowhere else to go. So direct provisions are growing, but it's not taking away from the housing stock. Like, for example, the East Wall offices. Very briefly, very briefly. Please, yes, yes. it's just men. But the Irish government is not just cowboys either. Uh, either They are cowboys when it comes to housing, right? There are regulations in terms of child protection, family privacy, gender privacy. What they do is, with Ukrainians coming and they must be welcome to this country, absolutely, they are picking people in direct provision centers where there's at least a kitchen, where there's a bathroom, maybe there are gender privacy arrangements like bathroom, toilets, etc. They pick these lads because they happen to be single lads and they pile them into disused office blocks. It's not that these people arrived in two buses to mm. Dublin uh, port and straight into East League. You know what I mean? These people are in the country, and they are being kicked down the chain, if you know what I mean, Yeah. And because they're just mad. If you had an Olympic Olympic camp, right, let's, for argument's sake, I actually was a volunteer in uh, the Special Olympics. If you had an Olympic camp, right, or any holiday camp, you will have a section for single men. You will have a section for families. You will have a section for single mothers. It's for good reason. It's not that let's overwhelm the uh, uh, district of East Wall with all men. These yeah. men have been told. But isn't it so no. sad that the pissing downhill has come to this stage? That, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when pissing downhill only went as far as unmarried mothers, Tony. And you're old enough to remember that. Yeah. Now the pissing downhill is, is just pissing down to the point where we have discrimination against people living in tents as compared to people living in direct provision. It's a crazy system. And no, I want to also make what Mehmet makes a really good point, And I will plug that you've written about it previously. You've written, we don't have a refugee crisis. We have a housing crisis. We've spoken about this so often on this podcast. I mean, the census itself said we've the census. So what said we've 35,000 vacant properties right we know there's there's 166,000 if you if you bring it out between between derelict and you yeah. and, and vacancy 
We don't have... I recall, and he won't thank me for saying it, but Lorcan Sir, working with the, with the Immigrant Council, said we need to move direct provision from Roderick O'Gorman's portfolio into the Department of Housing and watch what happens. Because it's a housing crisis. It's not a refugee crisis. And what we're finding here then is... This is, and we go back to East Wall, and this is not the pick on the people of East Wall. You know, there are people, people absolutely have the right to talk about what's happening in their communities, how things are being addressed, what's happening. But we need to be very clear, clear about this. As Mehmet has outlined, why the reasons that's happening, how it's happening, the substandard accommodation some of these men are going into, by the way, and then the class issue. It's divide and rule. Mehmet, you've seen those pictures. You've heard the talking points and the talking points, unfortunately, is an import importation of bad Trumpian language that's, you know, gotten very popular in the UK. And I've noticed a lot of accounts on social media promoting it are the same sort of Brexiteer accounts. And there's a huge influx of bot accounts. We're not the only people to notice it. We've all seen these bot and sock puppet accounts popping up all the time now. It's a worrying trend and it's easy enough to stoke fear because as Emmett, as Emmett Kieran points out, it's easier to point that the guy in a tracksuit than actually deal with a guy in, in a three piece suit. And that's my concern. To be honest with you, absolutely. And it is a strange situation that suddenly the sort of the lies of the far right, for example, they are not vetted. For example, we are scared that there are suddenly black men in our community, right? Look, I, I mean, I sometimes get scared walking in Temple Bar after midnight on a weekend. You know, you know, it's it's it can be. You know, it's 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 it's, it's the society doesn't have problems, but particularly when it's black men, suddenly we talk about that we are scared, and there is nothing to actually prove that crime rates by refugees, asylum seekers are going up in this country. Actually, crime rates have been going down, but organized crimes like you know. Heavy organized crimes have been going up, right? So those lies, or or get them out. Look, chanting at people trapped between the government, housing, and the far right, get them out, get them out, is not going to solve the problem. What are the people going to do in that office building? How are they going to react? And what is the what is the benefit of that? But well, you know what will benefit actually everyone. Everyone, black, white, local uh, resident, citizen, non-citizen, is that we need to unite and together and fight for housing together because enough is enough. And and like the 1916 proclamation says, cherish all the children of this nation equally, despite the despite the dis- differences and 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 anxieties that we might be facing. I, I do I do often wonder how the men of 1916 would view the GPO now where every evening there is a queue of people and a very substantial queue of people queuing for food. Yeah. Muslims, for example. The, yeah, the Muslim, the Muslim sisters of era are running that. And, 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 uh, and we've had them on here several times and we continue to promote them. And I guarantee you come in the run up to Christmas, we'll be promoting their, 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 their fundraiser. But isn't that terrible yeah. that we're now setting our stall going every Christmas, we do a fundraiser for the Muslim sisters of era as a soup kitchen. You I want to, if I was Rodrigo Gorman, I'll be at this point, get on to RT. I'm sure as a minister, he can have a public broadcasting session after some prime time or whatnot. 
be honest, be open, be direct about what exactly is happening at this moment, right, in terms of the refugees and asylum seekers, how the process works, and appeal to people, explain to people that it's not about the consultation with the local community, right? That's all good, but we have to hear what exactly that means and how, what format it takes. And you know me, I'm a left-wing uh, activist. I'm always for grass up, bottom-up, uh, people power, uh, change in society, consultation uh, with the community and people, absolutely. But we need to understand, if these people weren't put into East Wall, uh, incoming Ukrainian families with children have no places to go because places are full. Or these people could have been kicked out onto the streets. And you know what they had to do? It's freezing outside. They will go to Simon community, Father McVeary overnight emergency accommodation. This time they will start actually competing with those bats. What the government is doing actually, put them into enclosed spaces, right? Mm. Explain these realities. But here's the reality, Tony, isn't it? In order to explain what's happening to human beings, he has to say one thing and he can't say that. We need to declare a housing emergency and build public housing in this country without a bloody delay. But that brings me exactly to what's going on in the Dáil today. And in the Dáil today, there is an argument about uh, whether a housing crisis exists or not. So the... Taoiseach has said that he declared a housing crisis several years ago. Now, he doesn't see the irony in declaring a, a housing crisis. They declared an emergency. Leo Varadkar was then Taoiseach and declared an emergency in September 2017. Yeah, but, but to take credit for declaring it and then not take responsibility for doing nothing about it. Well, he did. And he managed to get homelessness to go from at that time to seven and a half thousand to now 11,000, despite fudging the figures well, to bring them down. Well, I was kind of working it out the other day, and I've kind of worked it out that between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, they're only second place to making children homeless to Cromwell. <laughs> to Cromwell. Well, you can, know, can, it's crazy can, 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 It is housing. It boils down to housing. It absolutely does. The lack of political will, the idea now that they've decided after 11 years in government, particularly Fine, Fine Gael, have decided that they're saying, trust us, we want another crack at it. I just don't think people are going to get there. But I want to try and, if I can, Ahmed, if this is okay with you, yeah. I want to ask one kind of, if there's a positive that you've seen in the years that you've lived in Ireland in terms of not politically, because politically we've seen very little change whereby, well, we've seen a merger between the the, the two traditional parties. But have you seen that change that you refer to as grassroots? And do you think that that we are actually getting to a point where people are saying you said enough is enough? I think I, I think are we getting there where the, the grassroots move, even the stuff that we see in East Wall, people who were engaged with and spoken to, explained to, and you know, if we can identify really what's going on and who needs to where this where the pressure needs to be applied. Well, is there do you have you seen it are you are you is there any hope in that? Oh, absolutely. Twenty years ago when direct provision was established, fifteen years ago when we were campaigning, people were looking at us as lunatics sometimes, you know. What the hell is direct provision? Today, there's a very much a consciousness and understanding of the situation in direct provision, and, and we have a voice. Asylum seekers or international protection applicants, as they are now called, have a voice, have an agency. I think that's very important. But God, we had the divorce referendum, we had the repeal the aid, we had the water charges, 
And I think Irish society generally has shown quite a bit of progress in terms of social struggles and economic struggles as well. Okay, things haven't gotten better in terms of housing, whatnot, but I think there are struggles bubbling and I think people are angry and majority of the people know where to direct this anger. And in a reality, in a European context rather, Ireland has not become Italy, where a far-right leader has become the first woman prime minister, but also the first far-right fascist uh, background prime minister, right? So Ireland is not a place when one has to actually go and uh, be depressed about. Ireland has a lot to offer to everybody living on this country. I think there are other things happening as well. I think there's a general sort of understanding of, I think, what's going around the world. And I think uh, in terms of the Ukrainian refugees, I was really pleased, more than pleased, how the society responded. Now, I completely support Irish neutrality, defend Irish neutrality, and I'm against any military uh, sort of uh, activities, right? I, I believe Russia and NATO are creating a turmoil in the world. That creates refugees. But Irish people look beyond just the politics of geopolitics, and they actually looked at the refugees and said, we want to welcome them, we want to bring them to, the, to this country. But then Irish people got stuck between homelessness, cost of living, and, and uh, trying to help children and, and, and fam families and whatnot. I think there's a lot for us to be hopeful about, and I think there's a lot to be uh, cherishing to cherish in this country, but there is a danger as well. The far right, deep racism, institutional racism, is trying to grow. There is no secret. Yeah. They tried it in Balandrin, they tried it in Galway, as you said, in Ruski, and in, I think there's something going to happen in Wicklow. And they are trying to present themselves as the voices of ordinary people, oppressed people, by the big money and by the global elite and whatnot. They're not. Oppressed people, along with progressive campaigns and political forces and trade unions and whatnot, know where to direct their anger. We just need to organize it better. We just need to explain it better. And I think we just need to say dark forces are not the way forward to go because I don't see them much campaigning for housing, do I? I don't see them much campaigning for for the rights of a born child uh, and 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 the child children not going to school with empty bellies in a country of 21st century rich wealthy country like Ireland. I don't see them campaigning for those things. But what I see is using these problems to actually galvanize support, create hate, fear, racism and try to inject this sort of nasty ideas and ideologies into our societies and communities. Today, when you look walking Capel Street, when you look at my district, Ireland is a very diverse society. The local hospital I have is full of Muslim, Christian, non nurses, doctors, uh, with migrant workers all over the place. Ireland is actually can do a lot better and do a lot better. And one final thing, because I think we need to confront certain things, right? Ireland is not overwhelmed by refugees. Looking at the global situation, Ireland supporting refugees more, building more homes, uh, enabling safer access for people in need is not going to overwhelm this country, nor any country in the world in a sense. There are 103 million global, 53 million of them are externally displaced. These are people who went across borders, basically. 72% of, uh, of, of the 53 million 
are host to the neighboring countries because people, if they can escape to the first safety, they stay in the first port of uh, uh, safety. For example, Turkey has 3.7 to 4 million refugees, Syrian refugees. They don't have a reason. Interesting enough, they all live in houses, right? I don't say Turkey is doing a great job with refugees. Actually, it's doing a horrible job with the European deals and whatnot. But it's just a comparison, right? 83% of all refugees are hosted in low, poor, middle-income countries, not European countries. 38% are hosted in five countries, Turkey, Colombia, Uganda, Pakistan, Germany. Pakistan has the same number of refugees as the entirety of European Union, 580 million population, world's richest continent potentially, or the second richest country. 36.5 million are children. They are not just men opportunistically crossing borders. So people do not dream of getting up one day, leaving their lives behind and crossing borders and dying along the way, right? We need to understand that what we fight for refugees in terms of housing, safety, a decent life for children, safety for women and men is also a fight for everyone in this country, in Ireland, for a better society. The alternative is homelessness, alternative is social problems, alternative is hate, fear, anger, and anxiety, and racism indeed. Who wants to live in a society where children hate each other? We don't want to do that because that's not in the interest of anyone and anybody. And I think we need to make that very, very clear. It's not overwhelmed. It's not even ranking in the top 15 of European Union countries per GDP, per square mile, per 100,000 population in terms of number of refugees we have. Is there a problem? There is. But we can solve it. Is there a, if there's an economic will and the money is spent where it needs to spend, instead of excessive profits, excessive house hoarding, excessive land hoarding, speculative rents, I think we need to look at what is in the interest of society. That is not a very radical statement, to be honest with you. Right wing is the violent Philip Oilers uh, build uh, uh, council houses because they knew they have to house the workers in order to build the industries. Today, what we are seeing actually is people coming to this country or people born in this country cannot live their own lives. They're stuck. Mehmet, I think that's a really good place to leave it. And I think we'll, I, I'm going to quote uh, somebody you've already spoken to, uh, Father Peter McFerry, that we do sympathy very well. But we're not great at solidarity, and it is solidarity we need. Thanks, Mehmet, for coming on and have this conversation with us. Thank you very much for having me. I hope it was a good debate, and I'm sure we continue these. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure uh, you're pushing against an open door, so I'm not so not so sure how how much the debate was. But I will say, for listeners' benefits. To go beyond that, just because we do on this podcast, I, I think tomorrow we have Mel Reynolds, the architect, who people will be well aware of, to talk about those numbers behind what's happening in terms of housing. And he has some shocking statistics to bring you. And I mean shocking statistics. And we're going to talk to a young teacher who who put up a quote today to say that his net take-home pay is less than the average rent now in, in Dublin, as according to daft.ie. So, this is a shared crisis. It is a housing crisis. So please stop punching down. Please stop picking on the other. The problem is, is as Mehmet has brilliantly outlined, 
We have our country of huge resources and huge scope. We can do so much better, but the pressure has to build from the bottom up. And I'd love to see lots of you on the 26th of November for the Raise the Roof camp um, protest as well, because that's what they actually fear, folks. They fear losing their seats. So whether whether let's 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 put pressure on that way as well. But thank you so much, man. It, it, look, it was four years in the making, but it was well worth the wait. So thank, thank you, you so you. much for the, thank you, for the conversation. We're organizing a migrant contingent, refugee asylum seeker uh, contingent for the twenty sixth, not to present ourselves as special or deserving better and more, but to say we are part of the solution. Absolutely. We work together and we are part of the solution. Please do not sacrifice us to sound bites like the danger, rapists, or this and or not vetted, because these sound bites is what get people like Meloni to power. Yep. Go to after the facts, go with people after these facts. Let's work together, let's march together. No one child left behind. Thanks, folks, for listening, and we will be back to you very, very soon. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.